had like lots of us have or on the on the road to having I hope this sort of glass shattering moment where you're like oh mm. I can live in my body in my case in my fat queer body and be happy those things can coexist I do not have to change the other thing in order to be happy and I mean happy in the fullest of sense I mean successful and whatever successful looks like loved cared for fed cherished admired like whatever that looks like and, and that can change and for the first sort of two decades of my life I did not realize that I could be fat and any of those things hey and welcome to the can I have another snack podcast where I'm asking my guests who or what they are nourishing right now and who or what is nourishing them. I'm Laura Thomas, an anti-diet registered nutritionist and author of the Can I Have Another Snack newsletter. Today I'm sharing the last episode of season one of the Can I Have Another Snack podcast. I'll be back in January with 10 brand new episodes with some incredible guests. And in the meantime, you can follow along on the Can I Have Another Snack substack where I'm going to be sharing some really cool features over the holiday period, including my emo kid Christmas playlist, an anti-diet gift guide, and some guest holiday pieces from Kristen Schur and Fergie Tovar. You're not going to want to miss them. They are seriously great, and I can't wait to share them with you. So make sure that you're signed up to receive those posts at laurathomas.substack.com. All right, team, I am so pumped to introduce you to today's guest. Katie Greenall is someone whose work I've followed for a long time, and I'm really excited for you to hear this conversation. For those of you who don't know Katie, they are a facilitator, theatre maker, and writer living in London. She makes autobiographical work that often explores fatness, queerness, and community alongside making work with young people and communities across London. Previously, Katie performed her award-winning autobiographical, why can't I say that word today, autobiographical sh- solo show, Fatty Fat Fat, and is currently developing their new show, Blubber, which we're going to talk about in this episode. We're also going to talk about embodiment and feeling disconnected from our bodies and how Katie handles a funky body image day. Before we get to Katie, just a reminder that Can I Have Another Snack is entirely reader supported. We don't have sponsors or do adverts or anything like that. I don't make money from affiliate links. I'm not trying to sell you anything that you don't need. All I ask is that if you value this space and the community that we're building, then please consider becoming a paid subscriber. Yes, you get perks and bonuses and all of that great stuff, But more than that, you make this work sustainable and accessible for everyone. It's £5 a month or £50 for the year. And if that's unaffordable for you just now, please email hello at laurathomasphd.co.uk with the word snacks in the subject line and we will hook you up with a comp subscription, no questions asked. Also consider gifting a subscription to one of your pals this holiday season or getting someone to gift it to you. All right, team, let's get to our last guest of the season, Katie Greenall. All right, Katie, can you tell us who or what you're nourishing right now? I love this question. I would like to think that, especially this week, I am nourishing myself. I am really trying to form some new habits this week. I've had a bit of a, I'd I'd say a few big few months of lots of different things particularly work-wise and so this week I'm really focusing on building some new habits and just like getting my shit together a little bit and so I really think finding that really nourishing for me Mm -hmm. Uh, so I would say top of the list I'm nourishing myself that isn't usually the case that's usually if I'm if I'm being really honest and reflective that self-nourishment is usually much further down but I'm really kind of stepping into that this week which is why having this conversation with you feels like really beautifully timed because um yeah I genuinely for the first time in a long time feel like I'm doing some nourishing of myself it sounds like that's kind of unfamiliar to you Mm. so I guess I have two questions on that like one is 
what you know why what is difficult about that for you usually and then secondly you know what is that that self-nourishment looking like for you at the moment I think it's difficult for a number of reasons it's difficult because one I work a lot um so a big part of my job is facilitating and holding space for other people Mm. um predominantly that's working with young people in different theatre settings like I run lots of young companies I work in schools or with other in other community settings so like my literal job is holding space for other people mm-hmm. um maybe similarly to yourself mm-hmm. uh or in a, in a kind of in a very different way but that idea of of a big part of what I do is holding and hopefully nourishing other people nourishing artists or um yeah like young people to be able to achieve what they want to achieve to access new skills and stuff like that and so often when I get that a lot of that work happens in evenings and at weekends and so just stuff like eating meals and going to bed uh, and having any sense of routine which is something that is really important to me just gets pushed further and further down the list and the more you know which is definitely not revolutionary but like the more tired you get the more you feel like you're it's harder and harder to get keep hold of any of those things so yeah yeah. that's one thing I think secondly is that I've been taught that I shouldn't be Mm. taking care of myself that like I that me and my fat body don't deserve care and sometimes that is really hard to challenge Sometimes it's really hard to have the extra energy or capacity to be like, oh, not only am I going to give myself the care or the nourishment, which I think is such a beautiful word, but not not only am I going to do that, but I'm also, that takes energy in itself. I also have to take the next level of energy, which is to do that in spite of a structure that is trying to stop me from doing that. And so it's really hard. And... I've spent a long time knowing that now I've come to realize, understand more about fat liberation and the capitalist structure and diet culture and all of those things. The more I've realized I can't, I can't and don't want to go back to having, having those thought cycles, mm. but sometimes I don't have the power um, mm. or the capacity or the strength to, to challenge them. And so yeah. I exist in this sort of no man's land instead. And so yeah it feels really nice to be able to have the capacity and time and resource to be able to kind of apply that nourishment to myself yeah that's a really um there's something quite striking in what you've just just said you know and I think a lot of us experience this from time to time like intellectually understanding that we're being oppressed by systems that you know that don't care about our lives or don't care about our well-being that only find value in us if we are producing and conforming and looking a certain way and etc etc and 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 you know wanting to you know placing value in rejecting those systems and also there's still being a huge barrier to overcome to access self-care to access self-nourishment to care for ourselves and and sort of I don't know I'm just imagining this kind of liminal space this no man's land that you were talking about and I find that a lot of us probably feel stuck in that place quite often yeah because there's a real resistance like I'm, I'm resistant to regressing into this this space that I you know I've had like lots of us have or on the on the road to having I hope this sort of glass shattering moment where you're like Oh, mm. I can live in my body, in my case, in my fat, queer body, and be happy. Those mm. things can coexist. Mm. I do not have to change the other thing in order to be happy. And I mean happy in the fullest of sense. I mean successful and whether successful looks like loved, cared for, fed, cherished, admired, mm. like whatever that looks like and and that can change and for the first sort of two decades of my life I did not realize that I 
could be fat and any of those things yeah. I'd have glimmers of it and then be like but I, it was so hard to hold on to and I thought the only way that I could hold on to them more was was to not be fat anymore yeah and so I'm I, I just I utterly refute I, I completely resist going back to thinking like that and so I would much rather sit in this no man's land space but that being said it's really difficult and it's meant that I have felt increasingly disconnected to my body in a way because I am reframing it as something that like doesn't define my existence or doesn't define my ability to achieve happiness or success or love or any of those things the multitude of those but I can't always work out how I how to how to do it how to achieve them Mm -hmm. and so it's it's really challenging and so it's felt like it's easier to sort of build some space between me and my body rather than live in that and the fear of going back to a place that I don't want to yeah so many little little threads that I want to tug on there I suppose what I'm thinking about is just this like the energy required to subvert the system and just say no I'm out when still existing and living within those structures within the those confines and and all of the you know I suppose what we're talking to is this idea that yes we can cognitively understand that anti-fat bias or racism or capitalism or whatever structure that we're we're naming which they're all the same thing really let, let's face it um that, that that is the issue but still not you know we still need resources to be able to survive in those systems and you know if we you know the the, the less access we have to those, those resources the harder our lives are and so you know we can yeah and label something as anti-fat bias but it still doesn't stop the system from, you know, perpetrating anti-fat bias whenever we need to go to the doctor or buy clothes or fly in an airplane or just, you know, walk down the street. And I think, you know, there is also a huge privilege in being able to decide when or when I do or don't want to engage with my body. And obviously sometimes Mm -hmm. I don't have a choice. Um, Often when then someone else enters my space on, um, kind of those microaggressions or macroaggressions either from other people or structure whether that's like societal structure or like the physical parameters of my space mm. i.e when I can't help but feel the arm of a chair digging into my side like there are sometimes where I can't help but be faced with that but I think you know it is a privilege to be able to in my day-to-day life to the moments when I can to be able to choose whether or not I want to engage with my with those things each each day and I and I don't take that for granted I don't necessarily find it easy but I I don't I don't take those for granted and that is because I am white and middle class and not disabled and and a multitude of other things but um Mm. it's really difficult and I guess when I'm making work about my body I'm opting in to engage with it and I think that's probably why making work about my body is so important to me because I think it's a way for me to opt in and to also in like to a greater or lesser extent I mean it could definitely be better but like I'm also being paid to do it (laughs) um (laughs) you know I'm being paid for the labor of of opting in to engage with those things as I say not a lot and certainly I'm not being paid for every moment that I like going through that but that's why I think it's really important when I'm making work about my body that, that I do make work about my body because otherwise I, I wonder how much of my life I would just not not feel embodied. Yeah. It, it, it's it's so interesting. Like I, I was just thinking as you're talking here about this idea of, you know, no man's land being in this liminal space with your body. And like, it sounds as though for you, disconnection and disembodiment is is a choice almost. And, or maybe that's not quite the right way of of framing it, because I think that's maybe too simplistic a way to describe it. But really what I'm trying to get at is that oftentimes disembodiment and uh, disconnection, dissociation 
are are labeled or framed as this really negative really you know maladaptive is the the word that we would use like in in the body image lingo Mm -hmm. right like from an academic perspective right but what I'm hearing from you is that it's a survival mechanism it's a coping mechanism yeah 100 percent. and I think yeah the, the thing about choice is really interesting because like I definitely don't think it's active choice. I don't get up each day and go, or each week and go, da, 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 da. like I'm choosing to, to disembody. Yes or yeah. no, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's clearly something is like something within me is making that choice or something is happening to me. Mm. But yeah, it's a hundred percent a survival technique, but it's not necessarily one I'm ashamed of. I think I'm most days I am proud of my fat body and I'm proud that I'm surviving in it. I'm proud that I am still fat in spite of it all, that I'm honouring what my body needs and how it wants to exist in this moment. And I will like, whatever it is that I have to do in order to maintain that in a way that like makes it make sense for me is something that I'm not going to lean away from. And And I think I begin to touch on this a bit in in the show that I'm in the process of making at the moment, Blubber, which is like, I think towards the end of the process of making my last show, Fatty Fat Fat, I was saying the same thing, you know, as is the nature of things when you perform something a lot or you talk about something a lot or repeat yourself a lot. I was taking up the same space over and over again or having the same conversations with journalists or audiences, but I was saying all the right things but I wasn't I wasn't connecting to them in the same way and that's what this show what Blubber's kind of came rooted in is finding a way to try and feel more embodied Mm. and trying to feel more connected to a body that I've that I'm I'm proud to exist in I think and I'm proud to to nourish and I'm proud to take care of Mm -hmm. and I'm proud that still exists and so it feels I really want to feel connected to it in a tangible way. Maybe I just want to take a step back for a second for people who maybe aren't familiar with your previous show, Fatty Fat Fat. Could you maybe just like give a just a very quick synopsis and then just so we can contextualize this conversation versus what you were talking about in that show? Totally. So Fatty Fat Fat was my first solo autobiography graphical show I started making it in 2018 after I just graduated from drama school it kind of came out of a frustration that lots of people in big bodies who work in the kind of entertainment theatre performing arts industry come against which is like I wasn't fat enough in inverted commas to be the fat girl in inverted commas um, or thin enough to be the normal girl in inverted commas and so sort of, there was no castings there was no jobs there was I was the fat funny friend etc etc and so it came out of of a want to make work but not seeing myself or stories or people like me really um reflected or or being cast for so fat 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 was a show based on a series of anecdotes from my life where my relationship with my body changed because of other people's interactions with it so they span from the age of five to 22 and they were like microaggressions um generally either from family friends or strangers that kind of yeah informed my relationship with my body and those were intersected with more kind of poetic and movement moments that were rooted in where I was at in that process mm-hmm. present day and also some kind of interactive moments that were talking about the wider fat liberation and the fat acceptance movement it was my coming out as being fat I'd never called myself fat before I made that show it was very much fat activism 101 and it you know doesn't take away from my pride in that show but it was time to leave it behind and, and blubber really picks up from where and I wanted to so I yeah I just thought it would be helpful to give that kind of background of what that show was versus this this new show where it, it feels like a yeah like you said before trying to feel more connected to your body whilst as we described before living in systems that want that you know benefit from you being disconnected and disembodied so I'm curious to know and I I wonder if this kind of connects into this question of of nourishment that we were talking about at the beginning and and 
finding ways to nourish yourself and that even in and of itself being subversive as a fat person. What does embodiment mean to you? What does it look like? What does it feel like? You know, like like I said before, sometimes it's held up as being this this gold standard way of being in your body, right? But I don't know that that's necessarily always true. And and so I'm I'm curious to hear from you. Yeah, just tell me all your thoughts on embodiment. On embodiment. I think the short answer is I don't know what embodiment looks like to me. And I think that's what I'm trying to work out um, is the shortest and simplest answer. I think that embodiment can look like lots of things. So there is a version of embodiment for me that is being on stage, right? I am acutely aware of everything that me and my body are doing, that especially as a solo performer, that that it's I'm responsible for everything that's happening in this space. Yeah. I'm like whatever I do or say is cueing the next light or sound I'm having a relationship to the audience Mm -hmm. yeah they might be looking around the room but like they've paid money to be there and and, uh, watch me or listen and so like those moments I am aware of everything like you learn in like actors training about like this duality you have to have a sort of outward eye but also an inward eye so like which is where like you know practices like method acting and stuff like that become a where you're like fully in character all the time become a little bit yeah, dangerous yeah, yeah. um and so yeah my training is very much thinking about like and what I kind of continue to pass on when I'm working with other artists is like working both ways so yes I'm saying the lines and I'm in my character but also I'm inside I'm thinking oh am I connecting to my diaphragm can someone hear me someone's just dropped a prop over there and I need to make sure I move that out of the way before the big dance number or whatever it is and so you've got to have this duality and so there's something about embodiment in that moment where you're like I need to be aware not only of everything that's happening to me around me but also what's happening inside of me mm. and and I'm really responsible for, for that and obviously I have a team that I definitely couldn't do it without the team that work alongside me but in those moments you know you couldn't can't help but feel embodied and so for me that's why live performance is so important rather than working in film or tv or recorded media is it's because that aliveness makes me feel alive mm-hmm. in a way that mm-hmm. I don't necessarily know how to replicate in other in other spaces mm-hmm. which comes with other things because it also is terrifying incredibly anxiety inducing and complicated and uh, so it's it's not just as easy as standing up and being like here we go but there are moments of that where you kind of when you're able to move through the fear and you're not doing the show for the first time or something anymore where you're like oh, I'm here I'm feeling this I'm doing this and we're doing it yeah, together and that yeah, feels really exciting yeah there's something I mean I've I've seen both shows and there is something very like visceral and immersive about your performances. Like you're in this relationship with the audience, you're having this dialogue, this conversation with them. And I think, yeah, the word that you use, was it like, did you say vital vitality? Yeah. Yeah. You can perceive that from sitting in the audience. So yeah, I can, I can see how that, that, that is a moment of, of connection. And that's something that I took from, blubber we were kind of talking about this off mic before that and and I don't know that this is necessarily how you were framing things but but it's certainly how I interpreted the show was that there is not this big like crescendo moment where you like make peace with your body and then it's just like you know happily ever after from from there on out that there was this real sense of, of moments of joy and comfort and connection in our bodies. And I'm going to ask you about one of them in just a second, but um, yeah, like that th- they were just kind of like peppered all over the place. Almost if we, we go back to that analogy that you used before, where you move from that no man's land where your body just kind of almost doesn't exist in a, in a way to being fully immersed in, in your body and connected to it in this really, positive and vital way yeah I think that's such a lovely way of putting it and and the show doesn't crescendo in the same way we spent a long time thinking about that in development Mm. because we were like oh where does the crescendo happen yeah because when I initially wrote it it had about four like mini (laughs) ones rather than like Mm. a big one and I think um 
I mean, it's a separate conversation to be had about like Western storytelling and what we mm. and what that's where that's rooted mm-hmm. in and 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 why we feel we need that and blah blah blah. That's for a, a separate a separate conversation. But I really hear you, and the show has those kind of pockets of of joy and reflection in amongst stuff that's really knotty and difficult. I think there's something for me in Fatty Fat Fat ends with the line. I want my body back, right? And so I sort of imagine that Blubber picks up going, okay, here you go. <laughs> Imagining someone has gone, all right, well, there you are. Here's the keys. What are you going to do about it? Like, what happens yeah. now? Yeah. And and I think that's why this conversation about no man's life is really pertinent to me because it's like, cool, if someone puts me in the driver's seat of my own body, do I even know where the pedals are anymore? Mm. Do I really know what all the buttons do? Do I know what feels good or what mm. doesn't? Like, okay, so yeah, I've got the keys, but how do I take control? How do I drive on the open road with all, like, how do I make it feel like a convertible yeah. uh, with my, you know, the sea <laughs> air in my head, singing to a song? Like, driving isn't like that. You might get pockets of that, but other times you're stuck in a traffic jam or you can't start or you need maintenance or it's just like you're using it from gets from A to B. Yeah. And and I and I think blubber is a little bit about reflecting my body as a vehicle and yeah. the times where it works and it feels like it's mine and it feels like I'm in it and I'm I'm driving it and other times where it feels like I'm I'm still learning what it can do and and what feels safe and and all of those things mm-hmm. sit within the structure of whether or not they're possible or impossible or I'm allowed in inverted commas or not allowed or you know, all of those things then have a context that sits around them. I think it's so important to speak to the messiness, the stickiness, how complicated it is to have a body because I feel otherwise we we fall into the trap of presenting binaries around our bodies, like either love your body and always be completely grateful. Uh, you know, I've spoken a, a lot on this series in in particular around having a baby and how we're presented with these that yeah very either or options of like well be grateful because your body did this miraculous thing right or change your body and get it you know get your pre-baby body back or you know so these really like I want more options than that to to feel about my body and I want to have those moments of joy and connection and comfort in my body and I also want to scream when I'm having those really difficult days in my body and feeling the the clout of all of those systems that that really crush us in a metaphorical sense <laughs> but sometimes also <laughs> literal sense. yes totally and and I think I thought for a long time particularly with fatty fat fat and maybe less so with blah blah but I think it's if anything it's just got deeper is that like I thought I couldn't make a show about fatness until I was until I loved my body Mm. until I'd reached that absolute nirvana um and I was completely at peace and could run around naked and do a backflip and everyone (laughs) see all my you know warts and all and I'd be like oh I don't care and I thought I couldn't make a show about fatness until I felt like that because I thought it was either where I was currently at or that space and there was nowhere in between Mm -hmm. and it was when I kind of realized that there could be some spectrum of that 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 I realized that that kind of allowed me to give myself permission to make to make the work and and if anything blubber has just got deeper and messier in the complexities Mm -hmm. of that and it's really difficult and I I remember we had a time in uh, the development of the show earlier in the year in, in in January we were doing some movement work and I felt really challenged by something and got quite emotional after we just done an exercise in the room and we were reflecting on it and and I remember sort of sharing with the team that like I just felt really ugly I felt like my body didn't look nice and I was having you know I'm we're making something you know it was an exercise it was it was nothing like we were just trying something out and and I and I suddenly became really aware of like yeah, why did that find so difficult I found it's because I, I was like oh because I'm I'm emphasizing things that I that I don't want to or I'm I'm feeling 
I'm feeling the the ugliness of of my body not because it's fat just because I'm putting myself in weird positions I'm screwing myself mm. up I'm I'm folding all my chins in all in themselves mm. and like and like some some days that stuff doesn't bother you but like in that moment I was just like I don't it's all very well like sharing a lot of yourself with an audience but then sharing something with a room full of strangers that like is not a version of yourself that you would show it you would want to show anyone like how how do we hold those things how do we hold that messiness and ugliness that we all hold but in my body it means something so different and me sharing that and giving that to you means something really different and that was a really useful learning for me and just being like oh there is a limit I mean we've always always thought about that whenever we've been making work but like there is a limit of things that that I'm comfortable doing yeah without putting myself in 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 danger Mm -hmm. wow yeah there's so much to think about there and I suppose as as you were talking about all of those parts of yourself that were taught to conceal and hide and push down and as all I was thinking about is just this idea that those are all things that we've been taught to feel shame about mm-hmm. shame 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 if your body looks you know if you have double chins or triple chins or mm-hmm. you know if, if if you don't you know if you turn side on and you have a belly or all of these things because we only ever see these like flat one-dimensional representations of bodies that have been you know through layers and layers and layers of modification that it's so shocking it's so shocking to see a real body in all three dimensions to taking up space and that shouldn't be shocking but what I'm hearing you say is that there's something really really unsafe about you know putting your body in those positions Mm. because I think there's still stuff that I'm unlearning about like palatable fatness and being it, you know, there's so many people that have said it, you know, they're going to say it far more articulately than I will or can about like the, you know, good fatties and bad fatties and how we can navigate the cultures that exist and and the barriers in society by demonstrating that we can be feminine or beautiful or graceful or healthy or Mm. educated or whatever it is in order to kind of overcompensate for this like big glaringly obvious thing which is my fat body and or or fat bodies generally and I think there was something that I learned in that moment about like how how deeply that goes still Mm -hmm. and you know I don't mind making a fool of myself. I don't mind showing bits of myself in a way that maybe, you know, two, three, four, five years ago, I might have had more of a challenge with. I don't mind exposing myself. There's some video uh, content in the show, which is like really zoomed in Mm -hmm. uh, bits of my body where you see like my bitten fingernails or my... I've got lovely skin. I'm very lucky, but I always get a series of spots underneath one of uh, my right armpit. You know, it's just like, and, I've got, and those things are blown up really big for an audience to make it, you know, because my whole, to show my whole body can be a universe, right? And I don't think a version of me before that, before would have been able to to cope with that. Yeah. And there are things that I'm, I'm, I'm willing to find the imperfections now. I'm willing to share those with the audience, but I'm, I think there is something about like, you know, they initially Blubber came from this idea of of wanting to feel beautiful. I don't think I've ever felt beautiful. I still don't. Mm. And I think I wanted to make a beautiful show so that some people would watch it and be like, wow, you are beautiful because you made beautiful work. I've I've been lots of other things. I am lots of other things, but that's just not something I don't, that word specifically, I don't think I've ever felt that sensation. And so there was something in that moment of being like, I can be, I can not be that. I can be somewhere in the middle. I can go below the middle too, but I like, I don't want to show all my deepest insecurities Mm. or difficulties, no matter how much unlearning or challenging or understanding why I feel that way about Mm. myself. But like, 
no one wants to share their worst stuff with an audience and I don't think it's fair to an audience either. I'm, I'm feeling quite emotional listening to you talk particularly about that that sort of sequence that was projected up onto kind of this like really ethereal netty curtainy sort of situation because like I sitting in the audience found that completely breathtaking that and the part where there's a lot of kind of like red light projected on you and it felt sort of like you were being held in this like womb I don't know if that was the vibe you were going for yeah definitely womb like because it's that sort of inside the body of a whale so it's yes um womb internal all of that sort of stuff definitely yeah both of those things just um I don't know there was something about that both of them felt very very vulnerable but there was something so I don't know that beautiful is the right word because that feels kind of like it trivializes what it was and I think that's why the show is less about beauty now because I think as we went on like actually what it was was about feeling and I think as someone that's been socialized as a woman I have been taught that beauty is the ultimate goal and or the antidote to my fatness and like like so many people who live in fat bodies I was you know, told a lot growing up, or you would be so beautiful if you weren't yeah. fat. Mm-hmm. And like, I again, we don't. There's, there's not unique experiences, and and there's so many conversations that are have been had and are being had about like you know, beautiful being, be able to coexist with fatness. And I and I look at I'm I feel so lucky and grateful that I look at fat bodies, other people's fat bodies now, and I and I think they are beautiful, but. I've never felt yeah. that in myself mm-hmm. and and really and in reflection I, I think it's because I want to feel sensation and I think it goes back to our previous conversation about embodiment and disembodiment yeah. Yeah. is I felt like I just wasn't feeling anything either in or around my body or within my body because I was like feeling was such a big part of who I was feeling huge emotions is such a big part of me particularly being an artist and I think I was just like making so much space between me and my body that I wasn't feeling any of those things anymore Mm. and so it wasn't really about beauty it was about feeling held or feeling something monumental or extraordinary or new or astonishing or even awful or (laughs) trying or terrifying but like between the onslaught of news a pandemic a mm. government crisis a you know everything else on top of experiencing the world in a in a more marginalized body that intersects different marginalizations but obviously not all of them you just at some point <laughs> there, there becomes a disconnect yeah. and so yeah. yeah I really hear what you're saying about those things and I and I see and agree with you and so I think that's why the show wasn't about beauty anymore. It was about sensation. It was right. about like just being able to feel and connect with yeah. something and my body. Yeah. And 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 I suppose what you're naming there is also dissociation, disconnection. They can be really powerful, really useful. I mean, life-saving survival tools, right? And they have a cost. They come with this this huge price, which is, you know, not being able to sense or feel or emote these, you know, these things that, you know, to, to bring it back again to embodiment are really vital to you, to, you know, to feeling that aliveness, that connectedness, that humanness. Totally. And also to go back to your kind of your first question, nourishment because it also meant that I wasn't nourishing my body um, mm. because I was so disconnected from it or disembodied that I wasn't feeding it properly. I wasn't nourishing it in the things it consumed in the media. I wasn't nourishing it in, in loads of different ways because, mm. because I wasn't connected enough with it to be able to empathize or to be able to understand with what, what it needed. And so 
I think these things are all so connected Mm -hmm. because without that, without that embodiment, it's really hard to make offers of meaningful nourishment. I can kind of know to go to bed or know to eat some toast, but like, or know not to spend 10 hours on TikTok. Sometimes, I mean, all of those things also have their place, but like... But but um, yeah, all of those things can be like spending 10 hours on TikTok can be nourishing sometimes when you need it. But I think what you're speaking to is like the fine tuning of that Mm. and knowing when, yeah, it's 10 hours on TikTok versus, no, actually I need to like get outside or yeah talk to another human (laughs) or go to sleep. Do you know what I mean? Like know when to say no, know what my boundaries are. I've been really thinking about something that Candice Brathwaite said online in some point in the last few months about like laziness and idleness. And I think as a fat person, you are told you are lazy Mm. and like I've been called lazy as long as I can remember. And so I'm doing a lot of work at the moment with myself about what are things that I truly believe and what are things that I I'm thinking <laughs> what, mm. what things truly exist and what things have I been told and because sometimes they are the like those things kind of can coexist and so there's the thing about laziness I'm thinking at the moment because I do think I'm naturally quite a lazy person like I could I could easily sit on a sofa and, and not move for de- for days and, <laughs> and I, I that's fun like I'm, I'm into it I'm not I'm not mad at it but part of me is like is that true or is that just because I've been told that that's true and I and I'm something that Candice has said recently online was like about how um sometimes the best way to take care of yourself is is to challenge those instincts. Mm. You know, actually for me, some of the best ways I used to take care of myself, and I'm still trying to work out what that looks like in present day, was kind of before pandemic, um before 2020, because the pandemic's still happening, but um before 2020 anyway, of like some of the best ways I used to take care of myself was actually saying yes and going out and doing things rather than saying no and staying Mm -hmm. in Mm -hmm. because I have chronic FOMO and I love being busy I love getting my energy you know I get my energy from other people I love living my life like that and so there's a version of me now that's like oh is that still true or do I need to actually stay home and take care of myself or eat not you know go to bed early or whatever or am I being lazy and I, I I'm really trying to connect with what is true about me Um, and that's something I'm finding really difficult at the moment but I'm I'm really trying to engage with and I think again links to lots of things we've been talking about yeah absolutely and I love I love that kind of distinction that you made like is this something what tell me again what it was is this something I'm thinking is this something I'm thinking I've been told or is true (laughs) yes Okay. Yeah. And I think that that's such a, a helpful way of, of reframing some of those, those thoughts and beliefs that come to our mind. And I have, I have such a visceral reaction to the word lazy because I like firmly believe that that is just a social construct mm, designed to mm. <laughs> make us feel bad about rest. Yes. Well, on that note, mm. the last question that I had for you and you know given all of the complexities um you know and the the stuff that you're kind of really in process of of figuring out at the moment I would love to know who or what is nourishing you right now first of all my housemate has bought me a really delicious panarazon from the coffee shop up the road and it is sitting in a paper bag behind the door for you behind me <laughs> your stomach so, your grumbling stomach nose it's so there it's, it is ready um, that is the thing that is about to nourish me and um and she is just um being proud of that I think the things that are nourishing me is routine trying to find structure mm-hmm. and routine in, in my life that's something that's really nourishing me at the moment something that is also nourishing me is really leaning into my deep love and interest in the real housewives <laughs> um, <laughs> that is something that's deeply nourishing me at the moment and be able to talk in depth with friends about that is really nourishing parts of me that I didn't know I needed 
Okay, um, and you will not be surprised to learn that this is not the first time that this that this has come up on I, the podcast this season. Wow. So I talked to uh, Clara Nosek, aka your dietitian BFF. Yeah. Had a great conversation. Highly recommend go back and listening to that. And her, the thing that's nourishing her right now is reality TV, but very specifically housewives. Great. <laughs> so I'm a big reality fan, but reality TV fan, but particularly housewives. So I could, I, like, even now, just the thought of being able to talk about it, <laughs> especially so in a public forum is like, is like really like make me froth at the mouth. Um, <laughs> some young people I work with was working with, uh, like as a sort of present for the end of the project, they very sweetly got me a seal cuddly toy with some like gold hoop earrings and they um called it the seal housewife of <laughs> shepherd's bush which is where we were working together so yeah that's something that's really nourishing me right now finding these pockets of sunlight and um, um hopefully if you're if and when you're listening to this you might be able to find one of those too but I don't know it seems like from behind you you've got a lovely bit of sunshine your side but yeah there's some beautiful kind of sunlight pouring into my windows and I've got this sort of glitter ball um is like that what it globe. is yes oh, okay I've so, seen these little like little pockets yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so every now and then my living room um if the light is at the right angle makes these sort of spots of light appear and so all of those things feel really nourishing I think I think for one of the first times in my recent life like my work isn't nourishing me uh, at the moment. And like, I'm looking to other things to hold that with me. And I think that's really exciting. That doesn't mean it's not satisfying or it's not mm. not doing what it needs to do. Or like, it just means it's not the sole focus of that yeah. where that nourishment's coming mm. from. And I feel really, I feel really excited by the prospect of that. And that feels quite new. And finally, I've got a, I'm going to see all being well I'm going to see um Adele in Las Vegas next March <laughs> and there was like a little wry smile and I was like I want to I'm desperate to know so, so currently <laughs> all roads lead to Vegas and that is deeply nourishing me because it's like the end of the winter it just feels it's not so far away that it feels impossible but it feels it feels tangible but enough time to get excited so like that is also something that's you're just me. so like focused you're focused on getting there so there's there's a real <laughs> mix and I think variety is a spice of life you know I'm a freelancer I'm though I've just said all that stuff about routine and structure like I feel excited when I'm bouncing around and doing multiple different things and so trying to find that balance um feels exciting and hopefully nourishing as well it's that I don't know if this like speaks to your experience but like I've seen a lot of people online and it like resonates with me as well. Like talk about that neurodivergent urge towards chaos, but needing routine and structure, mm. like the routine and structure being really helpful and useful, but being yeah. the exact opposite thing. Like it also feeling like suffocating at the same time. So Absolutely. All right. Before we finish up this episode, I would love to know what you're snacking on. So it can be a literal snack if you want, although we've covered off the panoramas, so yeah, check that box. But it can be a book, a podcast, a movie, person, anything. Mm -hmm. So can you share what you're snacking on right now? I am snacking on. Oh, there's so many things I could <laughs> say. I had something in mind, but I'm changing my mind. I am snacking on, I'm really trying to, I'm going to go for like a literal thing I'm snacking on. Go on. And I'm really reaching back into um, like childhood foods, the foods that maybe I didn't have growing up or thought I couldn't. And and so I'm really leaning into like the cheese string, the fruit oh winder, the penguin, the frosty cereal bar. Those are my like ones of choice but also primula the cheese oh my god yeah 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 yeah. on ritz crackers oh my god love ritz crackers that is that is like a real peak school time snack that we used to have at like at the end of term and so yeah it's those are the things I'm snacking on the moment just like really trying to find that joy in those little snacks again those are the things that I'm 
um, loving. It's so funny you say that because I was just in Scotland last week and my friend and I bought a pick and mix and I do not remember the last time I bought a pick and mix and I was just like chomping on these cola bottles like the sour sweets they were it was amazing so yeah Mm -hmm. I'm right there with you with the like nostalgic nostalgic foods okay so my thing is a book I'm like halfway through reading it which I'm always a bit like "Mm, can I really recommend a book when I'm not completely finished it but like I think I I know enough to know that it's worth reading. And this is someone that I'm really hoping will come on the podcast next season. But so the book is called Small Fires and it's by Rebecca Mae Johnson. And she is the co-editor of Vitzels, which is a great substack. I really struggled to describe what it's about because basically throughout the course of the book, she cooks the same recipe over a thousand times. Mm. And she talks about she talks about cooking and food through this like political lens is kind of the only way that I can think or like I can describe it but she's talking about appetite and she's talking about how kind of in the same way that you were talking about that like duality between the artist and the audience she's talking about like this sort of reciprocal relationship between a recipe and the person that's cooking it and the food and it's just such a like mind-blowing way to think about food and cooking and it's just really cool I like I I, you just need to read it maybe I'll link to like a better review in the show notes but yeah so it's called Small Fires by Rebecca Mae Johnson and it's just like it would make a great Christmas present for someone so yeah that's my snack all right Katie tell us tell the audience where they can find out more about you and your work so you can find out more about me and my work on um, my Instagram or Twitter, which is at Katie with an IE underscore Greenall on both um, or my website, which is www.katiegreenall.com. Those are the best ways to find me. Perfect. And I will obviously link to all of that in the show notes. And yeah, I have really, really enjoyed this conversation. It's felt really nourishing. And I'm really looking forward to seeing how Blubber sort of evolves in the direction that you take it in. And I, I like can't, you know, as soon as you know where that's when, where that's going to be, I will be sharing about it and let the audience know where they, they can come and see that show. So thank you so much for being here and being so candid and honest about your relationship with your body, your relationship with food. And yeah, just all the things that you've been thinking about. It's been really a great conversation. So thank you. It's been a joy. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to season one of Can I Have Another Snack podcast. If you've enjoyed these conversations, then please rate and review in iTunes and share these episodes with your friends. Can I Have Another Snack is hosted by me, Laura Thomas edited by Julie Kelly. Our funky artwork is by Caitlin Pracer and the music is by Jason Barkhouse. Fiona Bray keeps me on track and makes sure these episodes get out every week. This season wouldn't be possible without your support so thank you for being here and valuing my work and I will catch you in January when we'll be back with a whole host of really cool guests exploring appetite, bodies and identity. Talk to you then.